So tonight, guys, we're going to be in Revelation 61, uh, 16. I am going to be finishing the book of Revelation. Uh, Dave is overwhelmed with um, school work. As we all know, teachers, when they get off work, they're starting work when they get home. And, and so Dave asked me if I would be willing to finish the book of Revelation. And I said, oh, Dave, i got to pray about that, yes. <laughs> and so we are going to do verses 1 through 11 tonight. And I've, I've titled this message, Day of Days. You know, we're really getting into the, we're really getting into the wrath of God now. This is like the Southern Baptist chapter. Fire and brimstone and you, you name it. Hail the size of Volkswagens and it, it, it is just a horrible, horrible time of judgment. And I've titled it Day of Days. And that just came to me when I began the message. I thought, what am I going to title this? And if you've ever seen the Band of Brothers um, series, episode two is titled Day of Days. And the guys that are in that episode... They they really go through it, and so that's where the title came from. Day of Days, also fire and brimstone. You can call it what you want, but it's not pretty. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that we have come into that relationship with you, Lord, that before all of these judgments fall upon the earth, Lord, we will be home with you. And Lord, we pray for those, Lord, that actually, Lord, we pray for those that, those tribulation saints that will be here, Lord, to see these judgments. And Lord, we, we, we pray for them. Lord, let them come to you before they go through these trials. Though you will protect them, Lord, they will still be there. So, Lord, fill us with your spirit tonight. Fill us with your word. And we thank you, Jesus, and pray in your name. Amen. 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 Chapter 16 is the culmination of the judgments on the earth. And what's interesting about about these judgments these bold judgments or, or vile judgments, as they're called. They are pretty vile, but it's actually V-I-A-L. Judgments, they've all been prophesied in the Old Testament by the Old Testament prophets. And, and, and not only have they been prophesied, they have been specifically prophesied, as in no doubt whatsoever that you can take these judgments in Revelation 16 and, and match them up specifically with the prophecies. And, and we'll look at some of those. So if you're going to take notes, um, we'll, we'll just look at a, a, a few of those prophecies because if we went through all of them, we'd be here for a long time. And the prophet Joel calls this, this day of judgment or days, we're not really sure how long these judgments last, but as we're going to see, it, 
it indicates, as John wrote this, there's an indication that these judgments are bang, 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 poured out in, in a rapid succession. And when you look at the, the, the word day in, in the prophecies, it indicates a 24-hour period. I don't think that all of this will happen in one day, but it is going to be in rapid succession. So let's look at these uh, prophecies, a few of them. And, and these are Old Testament prophets, and they are specifically talking about the day of the Lord. They're talking about, as Joel calls it, the great and terrible day of the Lord. Joel chapter 2, verse 11 says, The Lord gives voice before His army, for His camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes His word, meaning God. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Amos chapter 8, verse 3. And the songs of the temple shall be wailing in that day, says the Lord God. Many dead bodies everywhere. They shall be thrown out in silence. In Joel chapter 2, verse 31, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And so, as we go through this chapter, there's some things I want you to keep in mind about these judgments. Some people say, when they when they read this chapter that man that's a god is a cruel god can't believe he'd do something like this i thought he was loving but we need to remember that number 1 god hates all sin there's there's no sin you know there's no list of priorities that god gives us well, this is the number one. Don't do this one. And this one's a little less. And number three is, you know, that's, that, that's a wobbler, as we say in law enforcement. That, that number three is a wobbler. God doesn't do that. God hates all sin. Number two, God must judge sin. He has to. Number three, as we're going to see throughout this chapter, God's Judgments are righteous and true. And number four, if you reject God's offer of grace and mercy, given through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, the great and terrible day of the Lord will fall upon you and you will not endure it, as we saw in the prophecy. John chapter 3, verse 36 says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Or you could say, the wrath of God does not depart from him. And you know, in, in, at this time on the earth, the, the time to repent is over. The age of grace is done. 
the door of the ark is closed. You know, when when the Lord, not Noah, when the Lord closed the door of the ark, that was a prophecy in and of itself that salvation is not available anymore. You are going to die in the flood. Noah's not, Noah doesn't have a secret door on the side where he can open it and say, come on in. It's done. And there will be a time when the age of grace is over. And this is that time in Revelation chapter 16. There's only two kinds of people on the earth now. Those who have taken the mark of the beast and those who have not. The saints and the ain'ts. That is who is abiding on the earth. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 6 says it plainly. Seek the Lord while He may be found. That tells us plainly that, you know, today He may still be found. But that time is coming that He won't be. Call upon Him while He is near. And so guys, this is... This, this chapter, verse six, or chapter 16, it's terrifying stuff. When you take this literally, it is terrifying. I remember when I wasn't a believer, you know, the words born again and saved. I thought, <laughs> man, that's funny. Those wackos talking about born again. Being saved, what does that really mean, being saved? And, and, and that was my mindset. And the funny thing about that is, is that I thought that way, and two months later, I was born again and saved. <laughs> I mean, bang, that quickly. But you know, for some reason, I, I had heard of the rapture, and I had this kind of, sort of, general knowledge of the book of Revelation. I knew that the rapture meant that God was going to take the born-again wackos out of the world before His judgment. You know, it's like, yeah, right. And that the book of Revelation described the wrath of God. And, you know, I didn't even know what the wrath of God was. I, I looked at the book of Revelation a few times, and I'm like, whoa. That's like a different language. I don't understand anything. And I was of the mindset that ignorance was bliss. And that the book of Revelation and those words born again and and the rapture, that that was just something to be scoffed at and made fun of. But, you know, even with the little knowledge I had, there was still that little piece of me that was a little unsettled about the rapture, the book of Revelation. There was just that little knot in in my stomach. And I don't know why that is. My wife, before before we were saved, my wife was reading um, the Left Behind series. 
And I said, what's that about? And she said, oh, it's really good. It's about, it's about the rapture. You should read it. And I'm like, no, I don't want to know anything about the rapture because it might be true. <laughs> and so I want you also to take note of, of the ob- obvious similarities between some of these judgments, the bowl judgments or the vile judgments, and the plagues that were visited upon Pharaoh and all of Egypt. Verse 2, we're going to see sores on the bodies. Verses 3 and 4, water into blood. Verse 10, utter darkness. Verse 13, frogs. And verse 21, great hailstones. And again, this chapter seems to indicate that these judgments are poured out in, in a rapid succession And Jesus said this about these days. Matthew chapter 24, 24, 21 through 22. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been, has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And so Jesus indicates that it's not going to be a 24-hour day because he says days. And we don't know how many days. But what we do know is we won't be here for those days. And so Jesus says that this day of days is going to be so great and terrible that unless God shortens them, no one would be left alive. And the reason God is going to shorten those days is because of the elect. Those tribulation saints that came to Christ after the rapture, probably millions that saw these judgments, the trumpet judgments, and said, whoa, I better get right with God. And so those are the tribulation saints. And it's because of them that God will relent in His judgments and show mercy. So tonight we're going to cover the first five bowl judgments. And then next week we'll begin with the sixth bowl judgment and and finish up chapter 16. The remainder of chapter 16 is, is very interesting. And... There are some things in there that are, you know, last time I taught out of Revelation, I I, I told you guys that we have to take it literal. We have to take these judgments literal. They're not allegories. They're not metaphors. They're not symbols. They're not types that these are literal judgments. But in the rest of chapter 16, beginning with the um, sixth, bowl judgment, there are going to be some allegories and symbols. And we're going to look at those next week. So Revelation chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. And so this is where the day of days begins. And you know, the temple has always been 
where God has has spoken. It's the 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 tabernacle in the wilderness was really the first temple. And when the smoke was there, God was there. And that was when Moses knew to go in and speak. And so if we go back, remember, I, I've, I've said this before, to keep things in context, we, we go back sometimes and we look at the, the, the prior verse, which would be Revelation chapter 15, verse 8. And it says the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God. And this is where God is. He's speaking from the temple. And he is speaking to the seven angels. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. And again, that was how it was known that God was home. If you want to put it that way, Moses could see the smoke in the temple, cloud of smoke rising up, and he would know that, that God was sitting on the mercy seat of the ark. Verse 2 says, So the first, talking about the angels, went and poured out his bowl upon the earth. And a foul and loathsome, loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. You can translate foul and loathsome as stinky and runny. It smells and it's oozing. Sounds like a bad cartoon, doesn't it? Stinky and runny. What was that one? Ren and Stimpy? <laughs> well, now we have Stinky and Runny. And remember, all of these things are supernatural. They cannot be explained away, although we're going to look at uh, something later on where man tries to explain away these things. But these sores are supernatural sores. And some translations say boils. And as supernatural sores, you can imagine that they will have a supernatural stink. And so I hope the tribulation saints have a supernatural, um, you know, hope they will not be affected with these um, with that supernatural smell and I hope God is going to give them a supernatural sense of smell protection because I believe it's going to be bad but I want you to notice that through all of these judgments that we're going to see tonight part of them that God is holding man accountable, especially accountable for, you know, they, they, the Antichrist and the beast, they have murdered and beheaded many of the tribulation saints, those that would refuse the mark and those that they caught and they beheaded them. And, and, and God is going to 
now take his revenge on man who believes he's gotten away, mankind that believes he's gotten away with all of these sins against humanity. And they're going to be held accountable for those crimes. And you know, as we watch TV these days, and and we watch the news, and we see all of these things about ISIS, it, it makes me want to say, and I have said this in the past, God, don't you, don't you care about these kids? Don't you care about these Christians? And, and I think it's easy for us to go there when we see all these horrible things. And I, I've asked that very question of God. You know, in Africa, we, we dealt with horrible fear and trauma and sights and sounds. And, and guys, when we see these things, we must remember, we have got to keep our eternal view of things. We cannot live in the temporal. We always have to keep eternity in mind that, yes, God is going to hold these, these people accountable for their crimes. God cares and He grieves at all of these things and they're not His will. God grieves when ISIS murders men, women, and children. God grieves when ISIS sells women and their female prison, uh, children to be sex slaves. And God cares when women in Africa would come to me and say, Pastor Chuck, how can Jesus allow the LRA to kidnap our children, to, to kill our children, to kill all of our men? Very, very valid questions. And you know, my answer was always the same. And I always felt it was a good answer. But, you know, when you're asked a question like that with the trauma that somebody has just gone through, it's hard. And the, the way I would answer that is, again, you, you have to keep an eternal view and that one day God will hold them accountable for what they did and they will be judged. The eternal view. And we must keep that eternal view. Verses 3 and 4, Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And so here God completes His judgments upon the waters that he began in chapter 8. If you remember that when God judged the waters in that chapter, it was one-third of the waters that turned to blood. And so God is finishing what he began. And you know, as you study and you look at different things that, that commentators say about 
these kinds of things, it can actually get quite comical. If you have any ounce of discernment at all, and you read some of these commentators that are um, liberal in their theology, they try to explain things away. They try to say, well, that's not really what it means. And so some commentators say that verse 3 means the blood was like a dead man's blood, which means it, it was the same color. It looked like it, but it, it wasn't real blood. It couldn't be real blood. But notice verse 3 says, and it became blood as of a dead man. And so, remember, all of these things are supernatural. God doesn't sit around thinking, how am I going to do that? How am I going to make the water look like blood? How am I going to turn it red? And, and, it's, and so it's important that we take it literally and that the blood is actually blood. So really, you could actually say, and it became the blood of a dead man. And verse 4 clears it all up for us because it plainly states that the rivers and springs became blood. So there's, there's no wobbling there. It became blood. It's plainly stated. And so we can be very confident that God didn't use food coloring. God didn't use a red algae bloom. Anybody heard that one? The smart guys in the world? Oh, well, you know. You know what's funny is when they talk about red algae, they're talking about the judgments on Egypt and when it says that the Nile was turned into blood. And it used to be that they said, oh, well, that didn't happen. That's, you know, that's just a story from the Bible and, and it's not really true. But, but now what's funny is they've, they've switched from, well, it's not true to trying to explain how it happened. So they're admitting that it happened. But what they say is, God caused a red algae bloom. And, and that's how they try to I- explain it away. And so they're using their oversized brains, you know, the smart guys, and they're, they're trying to explain these things as a natural occurrence. And, and, and I could go on with that stuff. You know, Jesus didn't really, those fish next to the boat didn't really miraculously appear. There were really warm springs that drew all the fish to that one spot. I've read that one too. And so they've switched from, like I said, from denying that things happened to trying to explain them away scientifically. And we all know where that can get you. So, verses 5 through 7. And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was, and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. Some translations say it's what they deserved. And I heard another voice from the altar saying, 
Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And we've all heard unbelievers say things like, how can a loving God judge and send people to hell? He's a cruel God. And I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, have heard that. I say, how can a loving God not judge sin? God has to judge sin. And you know, God has given forewarning to the world through the gospel of His Son, Jesus Christ. It's not like the information isn't out there. It's not like people aren't out there sharing the gospel. You know, there are still unreached people groups in this, in this world. But, for the most part, the gospel has gone out to the ends of the earth. And so, there's not much room for claiming ignorance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what He did on the cross. People have heard the truth of Christ. And you know, it's also, if you look at Romans chapter 1, it's also something that people know instinctively. People know when they sin. People know it's wrong. But they choose darkness and not the light. And notice in verse 5, the angel says, You are righteous, O Lord. So, why is God righteous? The angel answers that question at the ends, at the end of the verse. Because you have judged these things. Brothers and sisters, God would not be God if He didn't judge sin. He cannot be righteous without judgment. And so there's that silly question that unbelievers sometimes ask. Is there anything God cannot do? Can He make a rock too big that He can't move it? Stuff like that. Silly questions. And so the answer is, yes, there's things that God cannot do. He can't lie. He can't sin. And He cannot let sin go unjudged. And it's as simple as that. So let's read verse 6 again. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. You have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. Blood is very crucial to our life, of course, and it's special to God. God says that it is blood that contains life. God says without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. By His blood we are saved. God said that the blood of Abel cried out to Him from the ground. So you can see how the blood of saints and prophets hold places, special places, close to God's heart. And so the blood of prophets refers to, of course, Israel murdering the prophets. Because the kings and the people, they, you know, they didn't like that message of future judgment. Specific messages, like we're all going to be taken into captivity. And we're going to be conquered, and it's not going to be fun. Not going to be pretty. 
But the blood of saints refers to all saints from the beginning of the New Testament churches to the present day. That is the blood of the saints. You know, in the last century, since 1900, around there, up to this date, into a, a, a second century, the person, persecution of Christians worldwide is at an all-time high. In the last 115 years, more Christians have been killed for their faith than in all of prior history. It's unbelievable. But it, it, it's true. That, that persecution is at an all-time high. And in verse 6, God returns blood for blood. Jeremiah 46.10 says, Speaking of this day of days, For this is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge himself on his adversaries. The sword shall devour. It shall be satiated and made drunk with their blood. Psalm 94.21 says, They gather together against the life of the righteous, and they condemn innocent blood. If you know anything about God's Word, especially the Old Testament, God abhors the shedding of innocent blood, especially the blood of children. And when Israel fell into idolatry, they began to do the same thing as the Gentiles in the land. They began to take their children and babies and sacrifice them to false idols. And in Psalm 106, verses 35 through 38, we see this specifically. But they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. They served their idols which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. And so let me ask you, what nation does this sound like? It, it actually could be The shedding of innocent blood and the killing of children, its you could pretty much place that on most nations these days. But here's the difference between those nations and our nations. We can look at this, and the distinction is that it is the U.S., and, of course, the U.S. spells us. It is us, our nation. And the distinction is, is that our nation was founded on Christ, and it was founded on the Bible. And no other nation in the world can claim that, that, that title. And so do we sacrifice, as it says here, our babies to a false idol? Yes. And that false idol has a name. And that name is 
choice. That is the false idol that, that we are sacrificing our babies to. And, and those that are pro-choice, you know, they'll defend their God of, jo- of choice viciously and violently against anybody that disagrees with them. And we're seeing that right now. Horrible things that are, are, are happening and things that I, I can't even talk about from the pulpit Without a disclaimer, as in, this sermon is rated R. But it's not. (laughs) But as a nation, we've shed innocent blood, guys. Listen to these statistics. As of January 2015, since the passing of Roe v. Wade in 1973, we have aborted 57,762,169 babies. That's of, as of January 2015. So let's put that in perspective. As of April 1st, a couple of months ago, Canada's population was 35,749,000. 600. And so, when you do the math, we've murdered approximately 22 million babies, exceeding the entire population of Canada. And, and you know, this, this part of my message tonight is um, a little bit worse than PG-13, but not, but not R. But this is something that's been on my heart so many times. That and, and don't get me wrong, I am not talking about a woman that has had an abortion. I have counseled women that have had abortions, and they go through horrible guilt and, and horrible stress and emotional uh, problems. And so I've, I've counseled with them, and there is forgiveness available for anyone involved in abortion. And so I'm not talking about uh, a woman. And, and many of these women, they, they, they did it when they were teenagers. And they came to Christ, and their eyes were opened to what they had done. And so forgiveness is always available, always there. But what I'm talking about is doctors and politicians and judges and presidents Abortion covered in the blood of, of innocence. And, and lately, and, and you know, I can't even watch these videos. I, I, I can't. It, it triggers in me too, too much of the things that I have seen in the past, especially in Africa. I, I, I have not seen one of these Planned Parenthood videos, and, and, and I don't want to. But I've read articles about those uh, those things. And, you know, when Bill Clinton vetoed a bill that had passed the House and it had passed the Senate, 
banning partial birth abortion, Bill Clinton vetoed that, that bill. It could have been outlawed during his term, but it wasn't. And, and when that happened, it, it struck me that, and I don't know if this, this is true or not, so, but it struck me that, that one day these, these people that, that could have stopped abortion, they could vote against it, but, but they don't because of political pressure, because of money that they receive from Planned Parenthood and others. And there's nothing in the Bible that, 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 that proves this, but I can picture in my mind someone like Bill Clinton and doctors and, and politicians and stuff standing before God, dripping with the blood of babies that have been aborted. And I picture those children present behind God. And and it's a horrible picture. And again, I I don't know if that's what's going to happen, but the, the, the judgment for killing God's kids is not going to be an an easy thing. And God hates the killing of His children. So let's move on, verses 8 and 9. Then the fourth angel poured out His bowl on the sun, and power was given to Him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. And they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give Him glory. And here are some more specific Old Testament prophecies. Therefore, this is Isaiah chapter 24, verse 6. Therefore, the curse has devoured the earth, and those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. And again, Isaiah is talking about the great and terrible day, the day of the Lord. Malachi 4.1 says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. And these bold judgments, they are all prophesied somewhere in the Old Testament. And they're specific Again, it's not allegory, it's not metaphor. I mean, they are specific. There can be no doubt as to what these prophets are are prophesying. And again, God has ensured that we are forewarned of these things. It is all available out there. Luke chapter 16, verses 31. Abraham having a conversation with the rich man, the parable of, La- of, of Lazarus, the beggar, and the rich man. And this is pertaining to being forewarned. And the, the, the rich man was talking to, to Abraham across the, the chasm that separated Hades from Abraham's bosom. 
And he wanted Lazarus to be able to go back from the dead and warn his family. I find it interesting that he didn't want Lazarus to warn his own family. He wanted Lazarus to warn his family. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. And guys, the world is the same today. Moses and the prophets, it is all there for us to read, for the world to read. This is God's warning that judgment is coming. And it's a hard way to witness to people, but, you know, we're getting close, I believe. And, and God's judgment is coming. And it's all there for people to seek out and read. And so imagine if your boss came to you and said, here, read this job order and do what it says. So you look at it and laugh at it and scoff at it. And you say, well, that's just a bunch of half-truths. That's a bunch of stories. That's a bunch of allegories. And so the boss comes back and he says, did you read my job order? And you say, no. And he fires you. You were forewarned, weren't you? You had everything you needed in front of you to avoid the great and terrible day of your boss. All you had to do was listen, read, and do. And that is the way with God's Word. You need to listen to it, read it, and, and do it. And so it is all there. there. There is no doubt that God has not told us everything that we need to know. But I want you to notice one thing that the rich man said. He said, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And so these people that have taken the mark of the beast, you know, I believe this is a reference to Jesus. Did they not have someone rise from the dead and come and preach or declare repentance. It's what Jesus did. But here the Bible says in Revelation, and they did not repent and give Him glory. So let's finish up with verses 10 and 11. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. And so this bowl judgment is, is the first judgment that is directly against the throne of the beast, the prince of Satan. And, and notice... He's powerless to defend himself. He doesn't, he doesn't have a force, force field. He doesn't like, you know, in Star Trek, you know, Scotty, the shields are getting weak. You know, he, he doesn't have all these things. God is all powerful. And this is a direct attack. And so the darkness here 
is as real as the darkness was in Egypt. And Joel prophesied of this when he said in Joel chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, he writes, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. For it is at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come, great and strong, the like of whom have never been. Nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. And so this is really reminiscent of Exodus chapter 10 and the plague of darkness. It says that nobody got out of bed. They were in bed for three days. Why? It'd be a lot of broken toes and, and, and things like that, walking around in darkness. And it says they, they didn't even talk to each other. They didn't, they, they didn't acknowledge each other. They couldn't see each other. And even night vision goggles wouldn't have helped them because you've got to have some light coming in to be magnified. And so they could have worn those all they wanted and, and, and they wouldn't have worked. And so now these that have taken the mark of the beast, they're burned, they're covered in boils, and now they're in complete darkness. And, and what do they do? They blaspheme God. And so we'll finish with this. If, if the rapture happened tomorrow, and this applies to me, guys, it applies to me because I have members of my family that aren't saved. Those in our family who do not know Christ, they could possibly see this day, the day of days, the great and terrible day of the Lord. Have a sense of urgency to share Jesus, the one who did rise from the dead to draw us to repentance and provide salvation for us. This chapter talks about the elect. Guys, we are the elect right now. We are the elect. We are the believers. And we have Moses and the prophets. And praise God, our eyes have been opened. Our ears have been unstopped. They've been opened to the Scriptures. Our eyes have been opened to the Scriptures. We can understand it with our spiritual discernment that we got when we were born again. And our ears have been opened to understand them. Amen? Praise God. I never knew what the Bible said until I was born again and saved. There's those two words again. But all of a sudden, I mean immediately for me, I had a radical conversion. And it was like all of a sudden, I could pick up a Bible and go, wow, I understand this now. And it's amazing. So let's pray. Heavenly Father... Lord, fill us with your spirit. Fill us with courage and, and fire, Lord, to, to share the good news, Lord, because this day is coming. And it is at hand, as the prophets wrote. 
And so, Lord, we pray that Your Word would go out. Lord, that we would see a revival, an awakening, Lord, an enlightenment, that eyes would be opened and that there would be ears that can hear the truth. And Jesus, we place these things at Your feet for Your goodwill and Your good purpose. And it's in Your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.